0: On the Way Home is proudly supported by Don Community Builders, a group formed within the Don group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging EllisDawn's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all the world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdawn.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on.
1: Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am one of your hosts, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door, and as always, I am joined by the (laughs) multi-talented Stefania. Stefania, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you for always asking and for always starting with an affirmation for me. I super appreciate it. And you, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Listen, I'm just just telling it as it is the truth. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm well today, these are busy times for for everyone, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is a a huge day, of course, of reflection for us all.
0: Yeah, so of course we're recording today, and it's it's, uh, September 30th, our inaugural Truth and Reconciliation Day, also Orange Shirt Day, so yeah, after this, uh, we plan on attending some local events here in Vancouver with my son, and uh, looking forward to just being a listener today
1: awesome and i think that's, that's so well said uh, i we actually at blue door today at uh, 5 p.m have a smudging ceremony up at one of our sites so i'm looking forward to attending that and keeping my ears open as uh, as i should uh, listen today we have an uh, amazing guest i've been looking forward to this podcast a long time because mm-hmm. um, it's just such a uh, well-spoken passionate brilliant uh person can you tell us a little bit about today's guest
0: absolutely i'm very excited uh as well too to introduce our very special guest dr naheed dasani uh, he is a palliative care physician who cares for homeless and vulnerably housed individuals with dignity and compassion whether in a shelter or on the street a transformative experience providing care to a toronto homeless man at the end of his life motivated dr dasani to develop palliative education. And care for the homeless, also uh, very well known as Peach. The program provides community-based hospice palliative care to society's most vulnerable individuals, regardless of their housing status or factors such as poverty or substance use. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks so
2: much for having me on. You guys are so kind. I'm really excited for this discussion.
1: As are we, and we always start the discussion off. You know what? That's that's not the truth. Today is a day for truth. The truth is, we decided we, we need a question that really speaks to the podcast. So we're going to start every podcast on from here on in with. And uh, Naheed. we want to know, what does home mean to you?
2: Yeah, you know, I think home is often defined by many people as um, a, a house or maybe an apartment. People think of bricks and mortar. They think of a roof. And I think that that... Um, after you know being a, a doctor who provides health care for people who experience homelessness but also terminal illness on the streets i 've come to learn that home means much more than that. Home is about connection it 's about community it 's about relationships it 's about support um, and it's it 's often um, an important conversation to have because when we when we talk about what defines homelessness in this country, we often too often focus on the roof over a person 's head. But I think it's it's a combination of many of those things.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think how we define home is so important as well. It's actually very important even on a policy level so that we can um, better support folks and get them the the proper housing, adequate housing that they need Um, so. You know, Peach began, as you know, of course, in 2014, uh, and many who know you or follow you have an idea of how it started. But do you perhaps want to step us through its beginning and how it's evolved over the years? For sure, you-
2: happy to jump uh, in with how this all began. Uh, this this journey that, that we're, we're on and, and continue to be on. Um, uh, I, I was born and raised in, in Scarborough, Ontario, um, and uh, uh, and attended medical school at McMaster University. I was born to parents who uh, came to Canada as so I always knew that I wanted to use that immigrant experience, that refugee experience as a, as a way to inspire social change in our communities, and found that in healthcare. Um, when I was working as a resident doctor at the University of Toronto, um, we're placed in these shelters uh, to provide healthcare for people experiencing homelessness as an opportunity to learn. And I was tapped on the shoulder at, uh, one day to ask and asked to see this gentleman who was in a, in, in crisis. His name was Terry. Um, and when I uh, went to see him, he was shaking, he was writhing, he was curled into a ball. And as I examined his mouth, I could see what was happening. He had a cancer at the base of his tongue and it had spread all through his face and into his neck. And when I began to connect with him, I learned that he had uh, a longstanding mental health illness, schizophrenia. And he was also um, using drugs on the street and um, had lived a very difficult life. He was actually diagnosed with his cancer one year before at a local cancer center. um, And due to his mental health and feeling embarrassed about how he looked, um, he he didn't go back for follow-up for his cancer. He began to experience pain because the tumor grew. And so he did what any one of us would do. He went from hospital to hospital, ER to ER, walk-in clinic to walk-in clinic, seeking the kind of pain control that any person should have access to. Maybe it was the way he looked, maybe it was the things he said or didn't say, but Terry was denied access to pain medicines in healthcare facilities, and I could see this in the notes. I could see it in the charts and um and so he found himself in our care on this day. He promised to start some pain medicines. I got to work uh, the next day early to meet with him, and I couldn't find him anywhere and I had learned that he had um, died uh, overnight um, he had died from from an overdose on a combination of alcohol and street drugs. He had turned to the best pain relief that he knew um, at the time. And this was an exposure to me uh, um, um, about what it meant to experience homelessness, but also to experience homelessness with a serious life-limiting disease and the gaps in care um, that people experience. And I guess the rest is history.
0: No, oh, it's it's such a powerful story and one that that I've experienced in in working in the downtown east side. I've lost friends over the last few years to cancer, because for so long they. They didn't go uh, seek out treatment, whether what was going on in their life, if they were experiencing homelessness, or just couldn't find a doctor who was willing to treat them, um, or they just didn't feel safe going into, you know, a clinic uh, looking for that kind of help, given they were from the the neighborhood. So I really um, relate to that story, and I'm so glad it inspired you to to start Peach. So, you know, uh, I just want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've seen you talk very pointedly about how racism is a public health emergency. And recently um, you talked about how palliative care must get political on injustice and inequity. And I, I couldn't agree more. Can you talk to us about that more though? How can people get mobilized behind yeah, this? Yeah, you know,
2: I think um, um, these are two important you know topics that we're talking about. We're talking about racism and its impact on healthcare outcomes in our communities. And we see that the impacts of racism on healthcare um, throughout our system, and I'm just going to throw out some examples. Um, you know, we see a disproportionate of people who are Indigenous and Black who are experiencing mental illness, um, who experience. Uh, 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 use of force by police officers across this country. In a city like Toronto, people who are Black are 20 times more likely to be shot by the police as compared to people who are White. We see this also in the presentation of sickle cell disease. For example, um, sickle cell is a condition that affects Black people, and they can sometimes be in pain crisis, um, and they present to um, healthcare. And um, in the emergency department, there have been reports um, uh, that people you know, have to do their hair and dress up well before they show up um, in pain crisis. So that they are hopefully treated, you know, you know, in the same way that other people are treated. Um and this has been well reported across Canada, to, a, you know, another example of what we saw with Joyce Eshiquan and stories of people like Joyce Eshiquan, an Indigenous woman in Quebec who was literally dying and had racial epithets thrown at her um, by the, the care providers who work with her. So, you know, there's there's there are lots of examples across the system about how racism is impacting health and health outcomes in our communities. And the question is what we're going to do about it. And I think one of the things that I'm, I, I kind of intersect these two worlds of, of, of health care, but particularly the the palliative care healthcare system, but also working you know with folks who are unhoused and, and that sector, a sector you know that you are you know you're an expert in and you both are, are familiar with. And so what I'm trying to say to the palliative care healthcare crowd is the time has come for us to um, uh, 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 think with a health justice mind to get political. Um, that um, you know often you know people in healthcare are told that social injustices are are not in their lane. Well, no, this is in our lane. This is something we need to get into. And through some of the experiences we've had through the PEACH program, we've seen how that can inspire change.
1: You know, I, I've been a big, big admirer for a long time. You have such courage. You tell it how it is. You push the system, and that's exactly what we need. Now, listen, your work at PEACH is tough uh, in normal times, but these are not normal times. Uh, we've had COVID-19 pandemic for past 18 months now. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic impacted palliative care and peach and how that has changed over the course of the pandemic. Yeah, you
2: know, um COVID nineteen um uh, showcased for us just how Fragile the scenario is for so many unhoused people in our communities. I often say that uh, uh, people experiencing homelessness were th- hanging by a thread before the pandemic and that thread snapped. And we saw the outcomes of that in jurisdictions across the country. People um, were um, experiencing a, a, a further distance from their care providers, their social care workers, because respite uh, drop-ins and shelters, and, and God bless them, were doing the best they could, but had to shut down, especially if you remember like the beginning with physical distance saying this is a time when we didn't have vaccines for example um, and so more and more people were on the streets in parks in uh, non-traditional spaces in need of help and support and care and so the peach program particularly we saw a flurry of referrals um, a lot more requests to, to help and support people in complex situations we found ourselves doing more work outside buildings as a result of that I mean, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. What we did see also, just to be a little bit positive, is we saw jurisdictions across Canada, and I know you know about this work, um, respond, and we saw incredible collaboration between government, local health authorities, social care workers, advocates, activists, faith groups, kind of responding, um, developing programs like hotels and motels, and, um, developing shelter programs to support people through COVID, um, you know, protecting people uh, for those who wanted to um, connect. And I actually got to do some of this work in the Region of Peel, uh, where I serve as the Medical Director for the Region of Peel's COVID-19 Isolation Housing Program. Um, and, and, you know, the, the responses that we saw in these communities was phenomenal. Um, but what we also saw was, unfortunately, you know, due to a mistrust of the healthcare system and trauma uh, and the social care system, many people who chose not to access those programs. And we saw what happened um, over the summer in encampment communities across Canada. And we saw with that the unfortunate criminalization of poverty. And I know it's something you guys talk a lot about, um, but you know, I thought with my time, I wanted to talk about it too, because it, it really concerns me. At the beginning, we saw a lot of um, ticketing that was happening, particularly for people who are out just existing, living in parks because they had nowhere to go. But then we actually saw, for example, here in Toronto, we actually saw you know police operations trying to remove people who ha- really had nowhere else to go and felt where they, were, where they were being told to go was unsafe. And so it's been a concerning time. And I think it's a pause for reflection about what, how we view people who, who are unhoused and how we're going to support them. Because there's this push towards criminalization um, and a police response that is highly concerning and it must stop.
1: or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. It's absolutely, it's concerning, and I think one of the reasons we do this podcast is really to build that awareness and education. Policing homelessness is not the answer, not at all. I mean, if you can imagine how tough it is for people who have been street involved for so long, and then to add um, the fact that we're being ticketed and mistreated uh, on top of that not the way forward, not the Canada that I want to be a part of. I think we can do better. And on that theme of doing better, listen, housing and health care are so linked. The pandemic showed that even more, showcased that. And So how can doctors and, and healthcare providers in general increase their advocacy for palliative care and for marginalized communities? Yeah,
2: really great question. Um, I think in 2021, we do a pretty good job of um, at, at of accepting and talking about the uh, link between the social determinants of health, how people live, learn, work, and play, and the outcomes that they experience in life from a health perspective, um, housing, income, um, you know, employment, social networks, uh, food security, so on and so forth. What we're not so good at talking about um, is, is what drives inequities in the social determinants of health. And this is often termed the structural determinants of health, things like xenophobia, colonialism, ableism, Transphobia, racism, um, and a whole host of factors that really I think still in healthcare people are uncomfortable talking about. And what I really love about the the housing sector is I think I think the housing sector really understands that piece and has understood it because um you know who we see who actually is unhoused in this country is often a reflection of looking in the mirror, right? We see the reflection of society, and um, the reality is until we start talking in a, about and addressing um, uh, racism and. So until we start talking about oppression and these factors that lead people to have inequities in social determinants of health, we'll never be able to address the social determinants of health and and achieve health equity. And I say that with the utmost of humiliation as we record this on Truth and Reconciliation Day here in Canada, you know, thinking about a subset of of Canada's population that is overrepresented in our unhoused population and shelter populations coast to coast. Um, So I think we actually need to have that real conversation about the structural determinants of health. Um, I also think we need to um, talk to health providers um, and health workers about the incredible work that is being done in our communities by social care workers who work in respite shelters and drop-ins, who work in the housing community um, and, are, and are doing amazing work. And so we don't have to recreate the wheel. And one of the reasons the PEACH program has been successful is we work with the housing sector and and professionals in the housing sector who know these clients well, who care for this population and are experts in what they do. So we're not creating more silos within the system. So I think integration is a second concept that would really make a big difference.
0: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you this question because, you know, we we all talk so much identifying the issues identifying the problems which is so critical but i would love to to take a minute and just to crystallize you know for those who are either new to this or on the sidelines or not quite getting involved in the way that perhaps they should you know why let's talk about what healthcare or its outcomes could look like if it was free of that injustice and inequi- inequity if we were if we've come to that point where not only are we talking about it we're in that the post process of addressing it and actually uh, correcting it. So yeah, just to like talk more a little bit about what, what that yeah, would look like. Yeah,
2: uh, I, I love this concept. And I think talking about these frameworks and how we think of things is so important. Our Canadian healthcare system is pretty good at equality like of course it's not perfect but it really is focused on giving people the same things to be happy and healthy but for someone like Terry who inspired you know our work with the PEACH program um, you know it wasn't enough Um, Terry uh, had access to the same healthcare system you and I did but it didn't work and you know the outcomes there's the proof right there's so many people like Terry across this country Um, but what we need to start to strive towards is an equity based healthcare system where people get what they need to be happy and healthy. And that does mean that some people are going to get more, and some people um, don't need as much. And that's by virtue of the fact that, um, you know, people are, are sit at different levels of social and power hierarchies in our society. But I think sometimes what gets forgotten is there's one more step from equality to equity, there's justice. And in a health just, justice community, um, people don't depend on systems to give them resources for their well-being. People are empowered to have the resources and create and and generate the resources that they need to make their own healthy lifestyle choices when they want, how they want, where they want, with whom they want, and I think that's, we're seeing that shift in thinking in, in healthcare um, but we're also you know seeing that shift within housing we want to support and empower people with housing so that they can make their own decisions and I know there's different thoughts and feelings on different models of, of, of housing but you know I think housing first for example is an example that really is trying to look at equity and and maybe even a justice perspective on the housing on the housing lens um, and and particularly for people with serious uh, persistent mental illness and I use housing first is a really great example when training health uh, trainees, uh, medical students and residents about what health justice can look like. And so given there's an inextricable link, you know, we really need to think about what it takes and how we can move from equality to equity to justice.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's been so interesting even just for me personally learning that difference, you know, growing up, equality, equality was the messaging and then learning more about equity and justice. And yeah, thank you for taking that, step by step for us. Um, So also, you know, uh, you're everywhere. And (laughs) I mean that in the best possible way, of course. Um, It's just because I follow you on social media, right? Um, And so whether it's like Twitter or TikTok, you know, you're definitely making the conversation mainstream using these platforms. So since becoming more active on social, what has surprised you or what draws you to it to so much? Because you seem like a master well, of it. Well,
2: thank you so much. I'm sorry that I'm I'm in your face so much, <laughs> I really feel bad about that, um, sorry, um, but I, 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 and I appreciate the compliments, but I will say for every, you know, success you might see on social media or something that tracks with people, there have been 10 failures along the way, uh, or probably more and I, I think that's one of the learned lessons. Um, social media has many highs and lows and it's just one part of the work. I, I sometimes talk to students and, and remind them that you know the work is not on social media it's just one arm the work is the work and sometimes you know social media and advocacy can complement the work so just a little caveat and disclaimer there. I think what I've learned over time is that when we humanize Um, the stories of people who experience homelessness in this country. When we give it a a name, maybe not always the the actual name for confidentiality, but we we give it a face, a name, a story, a narrative. Um, Canadians are compassionate. People really care. Um, um, People start to see this more as a structural issue the idea of people experiencing homelessness rather than one of personal blame. And that is really powerful to me. That, that speaks to why I think we need to be, you know what I mean? The collective we that does this work to end homelessness in Canada, we need to be on these platforms and doing our best to, um, Tell the stories we need to tell. Um, you know, talk about the data, talk about our experiences, so that Canadians can start to resonate with the com- the, the the real experiences of people. Because I've never met a person who wanted to be on the street or chose to be on the street by choice. People are in the situations they're in due to various structural factors and the fact that they're you know falling through a weakening social safety net that we're seeing um, across this country and have seen over the last twenty to thirty years. So I think social media has a really powerful role to play. Different platforms have different um, pros and cons. Um, You know, um, I I think that You know, Twitter really lends well to immediate, direct information and really can get a story out there really quickly. I think Instagram and TikTok leverage that visual format with pictures and video, and all of a sudden you can take people places they've never been or never even thought about, right? Of course, you're always gonna get like the trolls, you're always gonna get the people who are the devil's advocate people, right? And um, you're not always gonna be able to convince anyone, but through that, I should say everyone, but but through that you know you do build a sense of community community and you build uh, you're building a movement along the way and if i've even been able to like make that dent even like 0.001% then i'm grateful right um it's also about amplifying voices so it's not always my story that needs to be told but it's amplifying those of people with lived experiences and more and more I'm seeing people who have lived experiences on the street and shelters um, um, either current or past who are out there telling their stories. And, and, uh, you know, any chance I get to like amplify those stories, that's really important as well.
1: Listen, you are humble to a fault. I I don't think anyone's mastered the art of uh, storytelling and, and, you know, humanizing these these uh challenges through social media like you you're doing incredible impactful work um Let's tell people where they can find out more. Where can they follow you and where can they support PEACH and become part of the solution? You can
2: learn more about the PEACH program um, at the Inner City Health Associates, where the program is based out of in downtown Toronto at www.icha-toronto.ca. And, you know, if if you're interested, feel free to, um, you know, check me out and the work that our team is doing in different ways on Twitter and Instagram at Nahid, that's at N A H e-e-d-d um or on uh, tiktok at dr dr dot um yeah I, I really look forward to meeting you on those uh, platforms and continuing to build this community
0: yeah absolutely and it is so worth it <laughs> i really recommend checking it out um Nahid, thank you so much for making time today to talk to us about these really well, important thank you, issues. Thank you.
2: And, you know, I can't say enough how much um, the work you guys are doing is important. i um, giving a voice to this, um, creating a platform for people like myself to, to talk about these issues. There is incredible magic and power in that. So keep doing what you guys are doing. I'm a big fan, too. Thank you. Wow.
0: Thank you
1: thank very you. much. Steph, you know, it's, again, we always talk about having that agree button. If, if people, you know, if we had that, <laughs> a big alarm, that, and I'd be hitting that the whole time. I mean, we, we heard when, uh, a long time ago, talking with San, Dr. Sandy Bachman, he was saying, you know, I can tell your health by your postal code, which, you know, shows how uh, there is yeah. not equity uh, in our system, right? And people experiencing homelessness, I think the average age of um, life sentence is, is 47, which would mean that uh, I... I'm two years past that. It just, you know, but having fearless leaders uh, like Dr. Dasani, uh, you know, doing this work and giving a voice to those who may not have one is, is so inspiring.
0: Yeah. And so important and, and we need more of it. And, you know, as that beautiful quote is that justice is what love looks like in public, I think is such an inspiring one. And so true. So I hope that is uh, maybe some of the final thoughts that we leave with folks. And, um, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting him on for the show today.
1: Well, another great episode. Subscribe, share with others, and we'll see you next week.
0: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.